Hello and welcome back to New Paradigm Healing. This series focuses on ayahuasca-assisted therapy. Our intention is to educate, inform, and support the conscious and responsible use of ayahuasca in the Western context. If you want to know more about ayahuasca-assisted therapy and our upcoming trainings and workshops, sign up for our mailing list to be the first one to know about the latest news at avatarhealingarts.com. Hello and welcome back to our podcast with Casey, Ayahuasca Assisted Therapy. My name is Nina Itzel and sending you big love and big hug wherever you are right now. We are excited to continue the conversation uh, that we started last, last time in our last episode about diet and how diet can support your ayahuasca integration. And we're going to go more into deeper emotional aspects of eating and especially focusing on eating disorders today that is unfortunately very prevalent nowadays. So welcome, Casey. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is actually something that has been extremely uncomfortable for me to talk about up until very recently um so it's uh, thank you for showing up then and being vulnerable yeah it just feels like really good timing awesome I'm, i'm excited to dive into um i would like to start with reading some statistics that i did so i was doing some research on this topic especially in the united states 9% of the US population or 28.8 million Americans will have an eating disorder in their lifetime, according to statistics, and 10,200 deaths each year are the direct result of an eating disorder. And that means that every 52 minutes, somebody dies as a result of an eating disorder. Uh, about 26% of the people who have eating disorders commit or try to commit suicide, which is really, really high, an alarming number. The economic cost of eating disorders is estimated about $64.7 billion each year in the United States. And a very interesting and also alarming fact is that Um, the highest risk group is teenagers and especially young athletes. So yeah, what do you think about this, Casey? Yeah, um, when I looked at these statistics, I actually, even the 9% thought that seemed pretty low compared to my region and where I live. Um, What is your estimate? I don't know. I just look at my friends that I grew up with and I'm in the South, I'm in Oklahoma. And if I look at all of my friends, the majority of us had some kind of eating disorder, whether it was with food, with purging or with anorexia or with um, working out so much and counting every little calorie and not taking enough in for what you're doing. It just seemed like it was something we all struggled with and just hit it. Like nobody really talked about it, but later on it was revealed that everybody at some stage in their life, a lot of us had struggled with it. Wow, that is that is truly a shocking to hear this, but I have a lot of friends from the United States and I can definitely um, testify that most of my female friends from the United States have personal experiences or directly know somebody who who struggled, you know, with this. So um, 
when we were preparing for the sessions I was sharing with you, I want to share it here on the podcast that I had such a completely different experience coming from growing up in Hungary, that while I was a child, it was still part of Russia and under full censorship. So we didn't uh, have just to give you an idea, you know, these magazines and this media influence that is now prevalent in the whole world, basically, like I, I didn't have that growing up. And when I was a child, when I was a teenager, I never even heard about eating disorder, the idea that you would eat something and you would intentionally vomit it out. It just was bizarre to me, like why you would do that, you happy, you know, that you have food and stuff. So. Um, like it was something that was absolutely not in my culture, not in my society. I, I remember I was in a class in elementary school of like 30 other kids and there were no obese kids. Maybe there were four or five person, you know, from my class who were like chubby or something like that or different build, but there was no obesity. There was no child diabetes. There was there was uh, these things were not simply not present or at least we didn't know about it you know but I also think that they were just not and the focus like I never really had any problems with eating or with my body image or you know accepting myself and most of my friends from eastern Europe that they, they are very similar so I when I started to come out of Eastern Europe and travel and then be in the United States and Canada and and connecting with people and having deeper relationships I, I became aware that wow this is something that exists as a huge problem in other places and and for some reason you know it wasn't so much in my upbringing that I didn't experience this to this extent and this is obviously not saying that <laughs> communism was good or anything like that. It's just uh, giving a different perspective that coming from a different culture, a different background and uh, different media influence that we're going to talk about later. Um, I, I really didn't have this problem in my, my consciousness, you know, until much later when I was older and when I met other people. So um, do you have any friends who are not from the United States? And do you observe that? Is there any difference, you know, with, in terms of, you know, you growing up in the States and having that experience? Yeah, I don't have a ton of friends overseas. Um, but no, I had never actually thought about it until we started talking about it. Um, I didn't grow up with a lot of media exposure either. Um, I know, like I see it now, like things like TikTok and Instagram, and I, you can't look at it and not notice the influence and the, the impact that it has on teenagers. I, it's just really hard to ignore what's going on there. Mine was more with, with athletics. We were all really competitive gymnasts and cheerleaders and dancers. And so with that, um, came like weighing in in front of the class. So the coaches would go with their little clipboards and call everybody up one at a time to weigh in front of the whole class. And whoever was wow. over the weight would have to run. And it was a humiliation. And I remember um, I was to share just a personal story. I, it was a summer break and I was visiting family and I was in the gym like four to five hours every day. And so when I was out of that for a couple of weeks, of course I gained weight. And I remember the coach telling me that I was running 
like I had a U-Haul on my butt. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. I'm nine. (laughs) But comments like that was just a normal part of the culture. And even in college, I was a cheerleader and I was always very muscular. So I was heavier than a lot of the other girls. And so the guys would make comments when we were stunting. Like I was the one that was kind of the last one to do the stunts because of my weight. So I think it depends personally on the impact. I think it's all individual, but mine was, I think, very structured. My relationship with food and how I see my body and myself was these, that it's bad to gain weight when you're a teenager and when you're gaining weight and that's good, you're told it's bad. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for for sharing this. Um, I wanted to actually emphasize this, that obviously one of the biggest risk group, as we mentioned earlier, is teenagers and especially young athletes. So the teenagers is more, I think, the media influence that we talked about, that it's, it's impossible almost to ignore um, this image, you know, that the media is promoting as desirable. And it just if you think about it, I think that there is one image, you know, that everybody should aspire to. It is, it is crazy to think about it. Like there is such a diversity in humans and, and races and bodies and genetics. And, you know, we are very diverse, I think, as a, as a species. And even just to have the idea that you should look, everybody should look this way because this is, you know, what is approved or desired, I think is very um, destructive psychologically, emotionally, mentally on all levels. And as you, as you pointed out, you know, another aspect of this, this is how athletics come into the picture that, you know, this is another version that you are an athlete and then you are in this environment where, where your weight and your body is, is regarded, you know, in a totally different way and you are treated in a different way. Actually, one of my first clients uh, for the ayahuasca assisted therapy, she was a competitive athlete. Actually, she was an, an Olympic athlete. She was competing on it. on on the Olympics. And uh, I don't want to say which one just to, you know, uh, preserve her privacy, but uh, she had uh, severe eating disorder, depression, anxiety, like all other stuff as well, but the eating disorder definitely as a result of this competitive training and waiting and, and just uh, humiliating her and pressuring her and stressing her out about her weight. She had this very negative, destructive relationship with, with, with the body, you know, and with food. And, and it was almost like she was thinking about food as something, as a poison, you know, to put in her body, something not good. So um, I, I can totally testify for that. I don't think people think about it, that when you are an athlete, people think, oh, athletes are so healthy, you are exercising all the time, and all of these things. So I'm very happy, you know, that we are shedding some light of this more like the emotional, mental part of the conditioning that you receive there, and the long-term effects, like psychologically, and how this can turn, you know, into a type of eating disorder, you know, long-term. Obviously, not just this factor, there are many other factors, but this is definitely um like a risk factor like when you were competing and when you were in that environment how many other girls around you your friends had the same problem with their body and their weight I think we all did yeah that is I was thinking you're gonna say that and it's like 
it's shocking, you know. It's yeah. it's it's really really. Um, this is you know one of um, something I would love to talk about a little bit deeper. The obviously this is part of social conditioning and media and how you learn what food is and how to nurture yourself and what is good for you, what is not good for you have major impact. But I found that even if you go further back into childhood, like something that I observe as a common theme in terms of emotional trauma with people who develop some kind of eating disorder, this is can be one of the common dominator a type of uh, abandonment in childhood so either parents divorcing or one parent is dying or leaving uh, psychologically you know from a perspective of a little child uh, it, it it can be translated that you know i did something wrong i um, i don't deserve to be loved the person who should love me the most is is leaving me and abandoning me therefore you know it is my fault and i did something wrong and i'm not worthy of love and this can come into uh, manifesting a pattern of like self-punishment and because food is nurturing so if you think about it beyond the physical level is like nourishing your physical body nurturing your physical being so this vessel so you can have this experience here so it's very much connected with the inability to nurture yourself and to receive and to receive nurturing and, and on deepest level to receive love you know, to love yourself and, and therefore receive love from others because of some kind of trauma that is related to an experience of abandonment and disconnection. And therefore, it can, you know, turn into this self-punishing behavior that, you know, I don't deserve to, to be nourished or to even to live, you know, some sometimes people think about it, that it's a slow form of suicide, kind of starving yourself. So, um, what do you think about that? Do you, can you relate in any ways? I, I can relate in the things that I have heard that on a childhood level, um, with my friends that have had eating disorders, not in the athletic world, but in, you know, other areas, um, is it's a, it's a, it's a kind of control. So if they're, they don't feel like they can control anything at home, that's something they can control. So I've heard it on that personal, like it's an empowerment tool of that's the one thing that they have some sort of control in their life over. Um, right. Well, I then, think what you are more referring to that it's a, it's like a, a tool to self-soothe, like emotional pain. So yes. when you are feeling whatever is that emotional pain that is surfacing for you, then whatever action, you know, you take is soothing emotionally for you in that moment, right? Yes. And it also can go to the other end of binge eating too. So it's right. a it's an emotional, but well, that's also soothing, you know, like, right. you eat and then, you're, right. oh, and, you know, right. like you relieve. Right. And you said, you know, you don't understand the purging. And I, um, I've, I have before. Um, and whenever I have been in that moment, the reason of my purging was because I was sick of binging. So you physically get so sick or I did that it would, I would just throw up because I was right. so sick. And that only happened a couple of times. Um, you know, my issues were more in the realm of not eating enough for the exercise I was doing and it didn't last. Um, my relationship with food issues lasted well until 
into adult adulthood. But mm -hmm. as far as the actual eating disorders, it was maybe one or two years of, of my teenage years, maybe even into college. Right. So several years of it, but it wasn't a long term as far as like not eating enough. Yeah, mm -hmm. I would like to um, talk from the perspective of the ayahuasca integration yeah. and how people I work with with this medicine uh, achieved, you know, great results and recovered, you know, from these conditions on, on, on a deep level, you know, not just like physically, but mentally, emotionally. So um, I feel, you know, that the potential of the medicine here obviously is healing the deeper trauma that is creating you know the behavior and also to to shifting the mental conditioning around um your relationship with your body your relationship with food and um, you know these kind of things so when you are in that open more plastic state after an ayahuasca experience that you are more open and and it's easier to make changes. You have more access to deeper information. You have, you are in a natural state of emotional release that things coming up for you to the surface to, to look at from the past and to process and to release. So it is a very, I find it is a very supportive environment to, to really go through this deep healing process and address you know, the emotional, mental and energetic reasons of the behavior itself. And then my experiences with people who I, I helped through this process that as they do that deeper work, as they are in that state of openness and willingness to look at themselves and to, to, to create positive changes, then the, the, the symptoms of the disorder, which is the behavior itself is naturally disappear so how one of my clients described it to me she said that i never thought that i will be able to fully heal from this i thought that the best case scenario for me is to learn to control it to that extent that it's not so destructive in my life but what she experienced was like a total freedom and this behavior is just falling away and not being there. So I really would like to emphasize that I think this is a real um, like kind of milestone when you can gauge where you are in your healing process and how uh, completed that particular process is when um, when there is no effort needed to maintain you know the healthy behavior it's not that you are um, using your willpower to control yourself and to control your behavior and to will yourself you know not to do it and you are in a state of resistance and fight it's a completely different state that you you don't have that behavior you don't have the trigger you don't have the impulse you don't have you know, the urge to do that to yourself anymore. Therefore, you're naturally not doing it. And this is what I observed happen, you know, people who chose to use the medicine to help themselves in their healing process, especially, you know, in regarding to, to, to nourishment and eating and eating disorders. Absolutely. That, um, the, I, I was talking to my mom yesterday about this and, she asked me what changed and I was like, you know what yeah, changed? And what she goes, changed? <laughs> the plants. It's like, yeah, the plants changed. 
And so how did it help you? Like, how was it for you, this personal experience? Because you, you, you don't have this um, behavior anymore, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. So how, how did the medicine, you know, came into the picture and, and help you, you know, to, to heal? Well, it was just exactly what you said about you don't want to do that to your body anymore. And so mine, it wasn't even just about food. It was about everything. It was about alcohol. It was about cannabis. It was about, it was about everything. It was about food. It was about, um, moving my body, taking care of my body, taking baths. What do I need? And that became the center because I met my higher self through the medicine. So I knew, I I knew I had seen her and what she looked like and what she was doing in that high vibration level stuff. So it was very easy once you've seen it it was easy for me to just make those choices. Now it didn't stop overnight. Um, Mm -hmm. There were weak spaces where I'm like, oh, you know, and then you just feel bad for a day or two and you pick yourself back up and you move on. Um, But the self-destruction part, no, that was, you just don't want to do that anymore. You, you see a different life. Well, why why do you think is that, that you don't want to do it anymore? The destructive behavior. I think for me personally, it's the vibration that it brings to me. So I can tell um, the foods I'm eating, if I'm drinking alcohol, if I'm, you know, smoking too much cannabis, like whatever it is that I'm doing, my body says that's not, it just naturally says no. And then I I don't, I just listen because when I don't there, the consequences were worse and worse and worse. It's like, so it's awareness, really. For instance, for alcohol, I used to go out and have a bottle of wine split between some people. Now I will be like, I can't do that. And my sensitivity factor is, is a huge thing that shifted. So I had to be very cautious with those things that were a normal part of my life before the medicine. And it had to shift because I was too sensitive to, to the energy coming to me and the, the, the frequency of what I'm eating and the, all of it so it just naturally was like you can't do that anymore (laughs) yeah yeah definitely the sensitivity we talked about this in the in the last episode that um what happens you know when you work with the medicine and you do this conscious healing work is that you reconnect with your body you you recreate this loving relationship with your body so one of the the main um problem that I see with people who have these type of disorders that there is a, a, a separation from the body there is a disconnection they are not feeling you know what is good what is not good for them they are disconnected they are not receiving those signals or they are not aware of those signals whatever you know the situation may be so when you work with the medicine and you you connect with yourself and and you start to really drop into your body and feel into your body and feel yourself you know from through the body uh, then you naturally have this sensitivity i mean everybody has that you know when you're connected when you're tapped in you are naturally sensitive and then as you said you have the awareness at the same time you are in this extended state of awareness and we always say awareness is key that 
you um, you have a choice, you know, and uh, this doesn't feel good and this feels good and I can choose here and what do I want to choose? So the awareness, the, the connection with the body, the, the sensitivity, so you are able to to receive these messages and to 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 listen and honor yourself and just simply start honoring yourself and connecting with yourself and cultivating a more respectful and loving relationship with yourself and with your body will naturally shift your behavior because as you said once you are more aware and you know that oh this doesn't feel good and i know it's not good you know and i have a choice here to choose something different then it's easier to make a change when you are in just unconsciously repeating a pattern and and it's real a trap as you said that you feel bad and you feel worse and then you do something destructive and that makes you feel even worse and you're just like circling there you know repeating the same pattern so i think this is very important what you just pointed out that I observe this with 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 everybody who's going through this, like including myself, that there is a very real connection and undeniable connection that you simply cannot ignore anymore. I mean, you could, I guess, but you don't want to. Let's just say that. So well, yeah. and I think it comes down to um, self love. And when I talk about my higher self, gosh, I fell in love with that girl, and I want to I want to do everything every day to be to be her, and that's loving myself. So if that's my, my choice, you know, is this going to bring love to me or in others, or is it not? It's a pretty easy decision when it's, when it's from your heart and it's out of love and self-love. Absolutely. And again, we say that, <laughs> that you are the healer and love is mm -hmm. the medicine and that's self-love. And also just remembering asking for support. So as we talked about it today, um, when you do this deep shadow work, this deep healing work, you can really go down into deep trauma, you know, that is um, connected to, to the problem that can be overwhelming to navigate, you know, when you are in that, in that trigger or in that memory, or it can be confusing. So I really recommend and suggest people that you reach out for help you educate yourself listen to a podcast and there's many people out there who are putting out information about this and and the the integration uh, with this particular medicine and um, that is also a healthy uh, self-love act you know to say that okay I'm, I'm in a difficult moment i'm a little bit lost i'm not sure what to do so but i love myself and i'm gonna reach out and ask for guidance and ask for support so remember to do that if you feel like that and uh, sending you big hug big love from us <laughs> Bye, guys. Thank you so much for having Thank me. Thank you. You are the healer. Love is the medicine. Big love to you all. And stay tuned for our next episode. Lots of love.